0: So I was, you know, I was going to talk a bit about the precepts because we're in this um, in this uh, four-a-week um, thing about the precepts. And Kodo gave a talk about it last week. And um, the reason I'm wearing my robe is he said he wore his robe. And I was like, okay, I'll wear mine too. Because, <laughs> you know. I really want to be like Koda, so because um, he 's awesome, but anyway, so i I wanted to talk about and, and and you know and the other reason I wore my robe is I wanted to talk about the function of the robe in the precept ceremony and in the um, in the activity of living with the precepts right so the the original story the, from the poly Canon about i mean i'm not sure if this is the original story, but the story from the Pali Canon about why Buddhists all over the world wear robes that are built like this I mean this one is brown right um, and and they come in lots of different colors, usually dark or sort of you know done, and then every now and again somebody um who has a lot of ceremonial duties, gets a real a like bright purple one made for them or something like that, which is kind of great. But normally they're kind of dollars colors. But they, they all have the same structure, which is kind of amazing. And it's the it's the structure that you could make by going down to the dump, getting a bunch of rags, cutting to roughly the same size, um, sewing them into strips, and then sewing those strips into bigger panels, and then sewing the panels together, and that's what you get, right? And the little rectangular robes that we wear when we're not wearing an oquesa, this large robe, um, have the same structure. They just have a different number of panels, and the panels are smaller, right? Um, And then, you can do more and more elaborate things with that structure, but it's essentially the same process, right? You, more, you know, more panels and more panels and so on. Um, the idea was that the the story is that the Buddha was walking along with Ananda one day, in in a in a rice field somewhere in certain northeastern India, and he was like, you know what? There are all these. Religious sects and and uh, and you know yogic sects and philosophical um, schools and so on and so forth and and there there are a whole bunch of them and people are constantly coming to me up to me and asking me if I'm you know uh, if I'm this kind of yogi or this other kind of yogi or this kind of philosopher or whatever and I'm like no I'm a Buddhist okay because <laughs> I'm the Buddha <laughs> um, and so what we need is we need to have uh, we ha- need to have a distinctive robe that everyone will recognize. And, and then after that, everyone will say, oh, look, there go the Buddhists, right? So, so Ananda said, great, Lord, what should we make it look like? And the Buddha looks around and he goes, eh, make it look like a rice field. And, and so the idea is that the, the way the strips are sewed together, it's like a, a rice field with sunken beds and raised um, paths to walk on. Right. So that's the that's the you know, the probably fanciful origin story of the of the Okesa. Right. And it does function as a as a distinctive marker. Like you go to Southeast Asia you, you know exactly who the monks are, right? Because they're in these in these um saffron robes, which are again built exactly like this, right? Um And and, you know, if you if you're in Japan, you can tell the difference between the um, the Rinzai monks and the Soto monks because they make the robes slightly differently from each other. But anyway. That, that's a nice story, but it's really, really not all there is to it, right? So the, the way the ceremony works, so I think Koto talked about this a little bit last time, but the way the ceremony works is you come in and you do a bunch of dedication and there's some incensing and somebody splashes water on everybody and, and it's kind of great. And then the very first thing you do is you put on your robe, right? And, and the question is, how did you get your robe? well you made it in in this school you make your own robe you make the little one you also make these really big ones you once once you once you get past um, uh, Dharma transmission, supposedly you never have to make your robes anymore because somebody else will make them for you but I haven't um, I haven't done that so I don't know um, but in any case for the most part you make it yourself right and to To do this um, with with some help because when you're getting Dharma transmission, you can get a little help with it um, and to make this is a bowing mat and and um, and to make another one of those little tiny ones and, and to make a few other things, it took me about a year and a half right and every time in that year and a half um, I, I sewed a stitch, I said either namu kie butsu or namu kie ho or namu kie so, which means I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in dharma, I take refuge in saga, right? So it's a it, the so the entire act of sewing your robe is a ceremony that lasts a year and a half, right? And you do it pretty much every day and sometimes for hours a day, right? Um uh, you know, some people are faster at it and some people are slower, but it takes everyone a long time and and you do and and it's a it's a ceremonial and meditative act, right? So so to start with um, Receive this so you make this robe and then you give it to your teacher and he does some stuff with it or she does some stuff with it and then they hand it back to you, right? At, at the ceremony and um One of the things it contains then is all of the refuges that you've you've performed during the course of putting literally thousands of stitches in it, right? Which is kind of amazing, Um, and 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 that sticks with you, right? And then the um, after after you receive your robe, you unwrap it because it's been kind of nicely wrapped. <laughs> um, and then you put it on. And before you put it on, you put it on your head and you, you chant a chant that goes, daizai fukudene hibunyō raikyō kōdō shō shūjo. Which means, well, the way it's translated in the zen Center liturgy is great robe of liberation, field far beyond form and emptiness, Wearing the Tathagata's teaching, which is to say, wearing the Buddha's teaching, and saving all beings, right? Um, which is a good translation, and it's pretty clear what what that tra- translation intends. It's like, you know, this is the robe of liberation. It's a, it's a, it's beyond definition, and it's and it it you know, it defies categories, right? Um, wearing, uh, it's it's like putting on the teachings of the Buddha and then setting forth to save all beings, right? And that's great, but that's not actually what the the verse says, right? It says something even more interesting than that. It it says great robe of liberation, and then it says, the next line, instead of field far beyond form and emptiness, it says, um, it essentially says formless robe and 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 the other term it uses um, to describe the robe is it's a it's 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 like it's a it's a compound in, in classical Chinese that means the the field of of the cultivation of beneficial activity right so essentially what it's, it's saying right there in the in the in the the verse, it says, this is the field in which you you essentially conform, live. you live a life conforming to the precepts. That's what it's saying, right? Um, and then it says, the next line is translated in the regular liturgy as um, wearing the Tathagata's teaching. It kind of says that, but it actually doesn't actually say wearing it. It says unfolding or opening the the teaching right, and then the next line is translated as saving all beings. It's actually it doesn't say that at all. What it says is, um, it 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 says unfolding that kind of over everyone, right? So so this robe this fabric is is a metaphor for the fabric of practice that holds everybody together, right? So it's it's really it's it's really a it's a powerful metaphor for exactly the kind of practice that bodhisattvas are supposed to engage in, right? That's what it is. And, um, and so that's what you receive when you, when you receive your robe. Um, and you, you put it on and then you say the refuges one more time and then you're a Buddhist, basically. Um, and so then the question becomes, how much time have we got? Um, yeah, we got a little. What do you do, right? And since you've already been set up in this way, um, that you're you're essentially wearing this thing that represents the the mutuality of beneficial practice in the world, right? Um, you say, okay, here's how I'm going to practice, um, and these are called the three pure precepts. I think Kodo mentioned this, right? But um, the first one is, well, I've, I vowed to do no harm or it's, it could sometimes translate it as, you know, do no evil or, um, or maybe just not do bad stuff, right? So not in, engage in actions that have obvious negative karmic consequences. Um, and that's fair enough. But, here's a question. Does anybody know whether some act that they engage in is, can, is gonna have only negative or positive karmic consequences? I think, yeah. So, I think the answer is no, right? You, it, you can, all you can do is act, According to your best intentions and instincts, and then clean up the mess afterwards. That's that's the best you can do, right? And um, and so the next the next line is translated a couple of different ways. It's it, sometimes it's just translated as uh, you know I vow to do good stuff. <laughs> right? And but but it but it the 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 other way it's translated is. I essentially vow to live in, a, in an awake enough state to be able to respond skillfully to the world. That's, it says, I vow to live in enlightenment. But what that really means is I vow to live engaged with the world in a way that, that recognizes um, harm, either whether I made it or somebody else made it, and, and engages to repair it. right? Over and over and over and over, and over again. And then and then it says the a line that initially was was translated as "I vow to free all beings." That seemed a little um, well. That, that, you know, it's funny about that. I said so that's the that's the core of the bodhisattva vow, right? Beings are numberless. I vow to to awaken them or free them, right? And the obviously that's impossible. Right? You, have an, you have an infinite number of beings, right? And, you're, and you've vowed to free them all. That's, that's not going to work, right? Um, and, um, but, it's, but it's easy to get kind of stuck on it, right? So, so the translation that we use these days is something like, "I vow to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings." In other words, just recognize that. That the universe is one big, you know, bundle of mutuality, and both recognize and in, and fully engage that bundle of mutuality, right? Um, so those are the pure precepts, right? Um, and the the ceremony could actually stop there. You could go, okay, I'm done. I've I've become a Buddhist, and I've said what I'm going to do. I'm going to now go out to the lobby, and when when I was um, studying in Italy, the, I was living in Milan. But the the guy that ran this big monastery out in out in the country would come once a week to this sitting group that I sat with and and give a talk. And he was a fantastic speaker. Um, and and then after he gave the talk and after we sat, he we would go out into the lobby and we would um, eat these sort of spongy cookies and drink this stuff called chinato. Has anybody ever had chinato? It's a, like a kind of strange Italian ginger soda. It's usually like sorry. It's right. right. Yes. It's, it's like the it's like the color of of the mocugio, right? And it's it's and I didn't like it very much, but he was a great guy. So um so so you could say, "Okay, I'm done now. I'm going out in the lobby. I'm going to drink, drink some though I need to eat a spongy cookie." But, but they, the 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 precepts that were developed when Buddhism landed in China um, are a distillation of the of the kind of of the vinaya of the large set of precepts that 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 was part of south asian buddhism and, and is embodied in the canon and so on and so forth and they were they were kind of packed down into 10 and you look at them and you think you know what these are just the 10 ways in which people are most likely to screw things up right and and so they so in addition to saying i vow to do no harm and i vow to stay awake and I vow to do it in the context of this rich, you know, utterly um, pervasive mutuality. Um, there, there's also ten things that I should really be watching out for, and, here, and they, you know, and they are the following ten things. Right? And and then when you've done with that, you're you've actually taken all the precepts in in the Zen school, right? And I'm not going to talk about the the pure priest um, the, the grave precepts the second set of 10 today because we're out of time <laughs> but i think uh, michael will probably come and talk about them next time so